God, thank you for this time in human history that we get to gather together as your people called College Park Fishers. God, we don't take this moment lightly. God, we have great expectation of what you, want, what you want to show us here in this text. And so, God, I pray for open hearts today. I pray for eyes that can see your truth that can only happen through your spirit. And so, God, would you move freely in this place to make this passage clear that we might apply it to our lives to honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the holidays are just around the corner, which means for many of us, the polarizing experience of a family gathering. Now, for me growing up, I did not like family gatherings with my extended family. I didn't have a huge extended family, but I was that typical kid who grew up and just thought it was a waste of time. Like, why connect with these people who I really have nothing in common except our last name, and it's taking me away from the things that I wanted to do. And so I had a really bad attitude uh, growing up, not to encourage you guys in the front row here, um, but just a really bad attitude about family gatherings. And it wasn't until I was in high school when my grandpa passed away and I started to miss him that I started to see the value and the importance of a family gathering. Like through my grandpa's passing, I realized, man, I, I miss his stories. Like I miss his life experience. I, I miss some of the, the Beals family values that we kind of come from the same place. And, and I started to see really the power of what a family gathering um, is, that it had the power to shape me and influence me in ways that I did not expect. In fact, my uncle was really the first person that I watched go through infertility. And it was extremely instrumental to help me process infertility early on in my marriage. And so I started to see the power and the importance of a family gathering that then created this longing for the next one. Like in high school, I was like, man, I can't wait to connect and hear stories and just learn because there's so much life experience represented in a family. Well, today we begin a short sermon series, three weeks long, called Come, Let Us Worship. Now, what I hope the Lord does in this sermon series is that we would learn something similar to what I learned in high school, that I hope what we learn is the value of what happens when we as the people of God actually gather together, that we would see the importance of it, that we would see how it has the ability to shape us and, and to kind of form us into the people of God so that it then creates a lean-in posture and a longing to come and gather with the people of God. And so as we walk through this series, and even today, I'm gonna to be using the word worship a lot. And I don't primarily mean singing when I use that word worship, although that's a central aspect of corporate worship. But when I talk about worship throughout today and throughout this series, I mean what we do together on a Sunday morning when we gather together, okay? This Sunday morning kind of worship experience. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna first look today at the purpose of corporate worship. Why do we gather? What, what do we do together when we're all in the same space? And then next week, we'll look at how and what shall we sing? And then the third week, we'll look at the aim of preaching and listening. And I hope that you'll come. I hope that you'll come each and every week and that you'll take kind of the things that the Lord teaches you, and that you'll share it with your friends, your small group, people in your family, that we might apply what we learn throughout this series. So before we jump in, just want to um, answer the question, why this series? Why this series now? And just by way of introduction, I want to share just four 
paradoxes that make this topic both important and challenging. Okay, so here's number one. Worship is ordinary, but it's also special. Okay, like Sunday worship, it happens every single week. And for a lot of you, this, this is part of your normal rhythm that you come, you come weekly and that you're ready to worship the Lord. And ordinarily, worshiping can be a good thing, but we also have to realize that the gathering of God's people together is like no other assembly. This is really, really important. What takes place here when we gather together that it's different than you and your Bible and your favorite podcast. Number two, worship is both personal and corporate. Okay, so Sunday worship is definitely a moment for you to meet with God. It's for you to hear and to respond to the word, for you to, for you to sing. And yet there's a real challenge here because our culture prizes individualism and increasingly designs experiences around individual tastes. You've probably noticed this in different arenas of your life, like your own specific Spotify uh, playlist or your news feeds on social media. They cater to exactly what you want. Or if you've ever been to Ikea, like I was just there last night, like Ikea is designed around a customization based on what other people like and what you like. Even look at the news channels. You can select exactly your go-to news channel around your particular taste and preferences. We live in a culture where this is becoming more of the norm, where we're conditioned to expect customization. And when you take that mindset and you apply it in the walls of the, sh- of the church, it creates a, a barrier to our understanding of what the church actually is. Now, that mindset of individualism can actually become really, really dangerous, detached from the corporate nature of the church. There's a reason why. There are metaphors all throughout the New Testament describing the church as a temple, like in 2 Corinthians 6, God's building in 1 Corinthians 3, a household in Ephesians 2, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation in 1 Peter 2, 9, and a body in 1 Corinthians 12, that you simply cannot live out the Christian life detached from the gathering of God's people. Number three, Worship is inward and it's outward. That worship is a heart-oriented moment. It's part of the, the spiritual formation process. It, it shapes us. And as Jonathan Edwards said, that affirmations should create affections. That worship reminds us of what is true, but it also shapes what we are to love. And yet, worship is also about mission or an outward focus. You can almost view worship as a mirror that reflects the glory of God out into the world. And meeting with God and experiencing God on a weekly basis can actually become the fuel for gospel witness and faithful suffering. That engaging with God helps us to engage with the culture in the world around us. And even as we saw last week, like in Psalm 96, we saw how worship and mission are vitally linked. So worship is inward, but it's also outward. And then number four, worship is unifying and it's controversial. It's unifying and it's controversial. Now, look, there is nothing more beautiful than when you get a group of people from all walks of life and you gather them together under the banner of Jesus. That as we greet, 
as we give, as we pray, as we sing, as we listen to the word and we respond to the word, we identify that there is something more powerful than our individuality. And when we refuse to let even our our personal preferences get in the way of our participation, it makes a powerful statement. But I'm sure it won't come to anybody, anybody's surprise that worship can also be controversial. Like there's a reason why somebody coined the phrase worship war, that this can be kind of a, a personal and an emotional issue. I wanna say from the outset that we, we don't have a type of crisis or problem on Sunday morning here at College Park Fishers. That's not why we're doing this sermon series, but I think it'd be wise for us to acknowledge a couple of things about College Park Fishers before we jump into this series. Number one, I want you to know that the age of our church is young, that College Park Fishers is, is not even three years young yet. Just think about that for a moment. Like, how many people get to experience a new and a young church? And on one hand, that's really exciting. Like, there's, there's an opportunity there to cast vision of what Sunday morning should look like and what Sunday morning should feel like. And yet, on the other hand, it's, it's a huge challenge. Because when you have a, a new church, everybody has an expectation of what Sunday morning should look like and feel like. Like you do something new and it's like, okay, we get to shape this and we get to create this and everybody has a preference, everybody has a background and everybody has an expectation of what should take place here as we gather together. So it can be a challenge. Number two, I think that our church culture is changing as well. And I think that our church culture will always be changing, that that's actually a good thing. See, when we first launched College Park Fishers, about 95% of us came from College Park main campus. We all came from basically the North Indy campus. But this morning, we have almost 40% of us have no context or relationship with College Park main campus or North Indy. Like there's, there's no understanding of cultural norms for a lot of us who you come not from College Park main campus. And look, that's a good thing. Like we want more of that. That's part of the reason why College Park Fishers was even launched because we wanna reach the community and those around us. And yet, again, this is another challenge that our cultures are kind of being meshed together and we've got people who come from different backgrounds, different cultures, a different definition of terms and, and even different theologies. And so you kind of mix those all together, trying to answer the question, how do we best glorify God on a Sunday morning with multiple generations, an array of preferences, different cultures, different theologies? It, it can be a real challenge. And so for all these reasons, I think this is an important subject for us to look at. And I think it'd be good for us to step back and consider why do we do what we do on Sunday morning? What is the purpose of corporate worship? So that's the main question we'll address here today. And there are two purposes that I see in Hebrews chapter 10 that I'll unpack here. And the first one is to rehearse the gospel together. Part of the purpose of why we gather together is to rehearse the gospel together. Now, we're just kind of jumping into the book of Hebrews. So if I could summarize this letter in one word, I would choose the word perseverance. That the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of believers, and he's trying to help them not fall away from the faith. 
that throughout this letter, if you've read it before, you know that there are some really strong warnings, some strong promises. There are different motivations that the author of Hebrews has so that the people of God may not fall away from the faith. And even as you look at our passage this morning, the author of Hebrews is using this passage to help the people of God not fall away by showing the value and the importance of of gathering together with the people of God. And so as we jump in here, please note that there is a corporate emphasis throughout these verses. There are 12 different references to either us, we, our, or one another, showing the corporate aim of these realities. That you cannot read this passage and kind of hijack it, thinking, how do I personally live this out detached from the body of Christ? You can't do that. In fact, this this passage is one long sentence in the Greek. The author of Hebrews is trying to say, look, everything is connected here and must be lived out corporately together with the people of God. Look at even verse 19, how he begins. He says, therefore, brothers, this plural uh, word here, since we have confidence to do what? To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, what is the holy place? What is he referring to there? Well, he's referring to the presence of God. When you read this, and really the, the, the audience who first read this from the author of Hebrews, this, this would have been a mind-blowing statement to an audience who is predominantly Jewish. See, the author of Hebrews is saying, you can actually have confidence to enter the presence of God. Now, for a Jewish person here before Christ, having the word confidence and God's presence never really went together. Like, because in the Old Testament, before Jesus came onto the scene, the people of God did not have full access to the presence of God like you and I know it today. They only had access to God one day of the year called the Day of Atonement. And it was one person. It was the great high priest could experience the presence of God after he performed the necessary sacrifices in order to actually experience the presence of God. In fact, they would actually tie a rope around the great high priest's uh, uh, leg. So if he didn't perform the sacrifices well enough, he'd be, uh, he'd str- he'd be strike down dead and they'd have to pull him back out. So presence of God and confidence never really went together for a Jewish person. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, look, we can have confidence now to experience the presence of God. And furthermore, he says in verse 20, that that curtain that was in the temple that was a big keep out sign has been removed because of Jesus who is the new and living way. What he's saying there is that we can have access to the presence of God, not just one day a year by one person, but all who trust in Jesus can have access to God anytime, anywhere. And so this confidence is grounded in the finished work of Jesus that the reference to his blood here and his flesh is a, is a reference to what he accomplished on the cross, that our confidence is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done, that Jesus took the place of sinners, that Jesus died on the cross for our penalty so that we can experience true forgiveness from God. Look, so, so that reality has created a confidence to experience God's presence, not our own performance, not our own good works, but based on what Jesus 
has done. That's where our confidence comes from, not our ability to nail our devotions every day, not on our perfect church attendance, but based on what Jesus has done. I love verse, verse 21 here. It describes Jesus as this great high priest over the house of God. And the house of God is referring to the church, the, the people of God. And so we've got this image of Jesus who is our, who's, who's our, constant, our constant living high priest over the church who is beckoning us and reminding us about the type of confidence that we can have in the presence of God. It's like Jesus stands over us on a weekly basis and says, look, come, come experience God's presence because of what I've done. Come all who are weary, come all who are tired and, and burned out and fatigued and feel numb. Come, this isn't just for those who have it all together. This isn't just for the religious. This is for all who trust in my name. You may come. That's Jesus's role now as our great high priest. And it's all because of what he accomplished in the gospel. And so part of the purpose of why we gather together is to rehearse the gospel, to remember the gospel, to recall the gospel because of what it has accomplished. That it's accomplished not just forgiveness, but access. It's a mind-blowing reality. So what does it mean to rehearse the gospel when we gather together. Well, rehearsing the gospel together means that we together collectively remember that it is Jesus's righteousness that makes us saved and redeemed and accepted before God. That it's all about what Jesus has done. And the reason for that, the reason why that is so important is because when you and I step outside of this room, we are constantly bombarded with all kinds of other false gospels to believe. Like on a daily basis, we are told to believe the lie that your significance is found in your accomplishments. We are told to believe the, the false gospel that your value is tied up in how much money you have or in your possessions, that your worth is tied up in what you look like. That's what we, that's what we face. We, we face this onslaught each and every day of false gospels. The world is telling us, you, you have no freedom for your anxiety. You have no freedom for your lust problem, for, for your anger issues. And so because we're constantly being bombarded with all of these false gospels and because our heart leaks, we need on a weekly basis to remember and to recall the power of the gospel. And so on Sunday mornings, what we do is we wage war against those false gospels every time we gather that we rehearse the power of Jesus, that Jesus saves sinners, that Jesus gives you a new identity, that Jesus is your worth, he is your significance, that Jesus makes you and causes you to be accepted before God, not your own good works, that Jesus fights for you, he is for you and not against you. And that's not, that's not because of anything you have done, that's because of what Jesus has done. I don't know about you, I need that reminder every day. I need that every week, even as a pastor, because my tendency is to shift the focus away from Jesus and on my own performance. And the reality is, each and every week, we all have things going on in our lives, and we all walk into this place with different things, different kinds of, of baggage that we have on our hearts as we're trying to enter the presence of God, that for some of us, 
it's really easy to smile when we come here because things are going well in our lives. And, and that's great. Praise the Lord for that. But then there's others of us where we walk in here on a weekly basis and, and we just feel beaten up by the world. We just feel broken. We might feel numb or, or dry. And so we desperately, all of us, need to be reminded and need to rehearse the gospel because those of us who it's easy to smile and things are going well, your temptation is to put your hope in that joy and in that happiness of your circumstances. And for us who are struggling, your temptation is to put your hope in your misery. And so we all need to be reminded that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were at our worst, we had nothing to offer. That's when Jesus decided to display his great love for his people. So I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get here on Sundays. Like I can't wait to gather with you guys, with God's people, and to rehearse and to remember the gospel. Because all throughout the week, I can stare at myself in the mirror till I'm blue in the face, preaching the gospel at myself, and, and that's good on one level, but it doesn't compare to what happens in this room when you get a couple hundred people who are rehearsing the same truth over and over and over again, that it is Jesus who saves, not our works. I need that reminder. And man, when we sing and I look out, I look over at, at somebody who I know they're going through a huge struggle in their life and they're pouring themselves out to the Lord, like that does something to me. Like that shows me the power of the gospel. Like when I'm preaching up here and, and I look out and I, I see somebody who I know is going through a hard time and, and they're leaning in and they're receiving the word, they're taking notes from the sermon, like that, that shows me the power of the gospel at work. And so there is something unique and special that takes place when we all gather together that is different than what we experience on our own and throughout the week. And so because that is true, what we want to experience every single week, each element that we do together must be grounded in scripture and must be a means by which we delight more in the gospel. Okay, so let me just unpack a couple uh, of things that we do, a couple of elements that we do on Sunday morning and kind of why we do them. Okay, so number one, we sing praise to God. This is no surprise, but we sing praise to God because scripture tells us to do so. Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Number two, we pray corporately. We pray corporately because we see this as a New Testament church normative practice all throughout uh, the, the New Testament. Acts 2.42, 1 Corinthians 14.16 and many, many other places. Another element that we do is we preach the word of God. We're commanded to do so in 2 Timothy 4, 2, that we believe that the word of God has power. It's alive and it's active. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. So because that's true, we want to preach it every single time that we gather. 1 Timothy 4, 13 also commands us to the public reading of scripture. So that's why we do that in case you're wondering. Another element are the two ordinances, communion and Baptism, we see both of those grounded in scripture, 1 Corinthians 11 and Matthew 28. And we believe when these elements are performed biblically and rightly, it gives us the ability not only to rehearse and see the gospel, but also to experience the power of the gospel. And more on that in the next couple of weeks. 
So the first purpose of why we gather is to rehearse the gospel together. Number two is we also respond to the gospel. We respond to the gospel. So we not only delight in it, but the gospel is actually something that produces movement and activity in our lives in response to it. And if you follow the argument in, the, in our passage here today, the author of Hebrews is laying out exactly that. At verses 19 through 21, he gives us these two strong statements beginning with the word since. And he does that to then ground the three commands that we see in verses 22 through 25. Let me point out the two since statements. Verse 19, he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and then number two, verse 21, and since we have a great, a great priest over the house of God, we are to do three things. Okay, now the three things are in verses 22 through 25, and they all begin with the phrase, let us. Okay, do you see the three let us statements there? Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And verse 24, let us consider. And these three statements are, uh, are, are an explanation of how we are to respond to the gospel of Jesus when we gather together. So let's unpack each of these for the rest of our time together this morning. So number one, the first let us statement has to do with this idea of coming. That as the people of God on Sunday morning, we come and we draw near to God. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now the command here and the response to the gospel is to draw near to God. That as the gospel is being proclaimed and rehearsed, we are to seize the opportunity each and every week to access the presence of God that is unique when we are all together. And the author of Hebrews says to do this with a heart that is true or sincere with full assurance. So the author of Hebrews is speaking into the kind of heart that demonstrates complete trust and devotion to God that stands in contrast to an unbelieving heart. And so like when you come in here, there should be an expectation and an anticipation of what God is going to do and how God is going to speak directly to you, that we believe that God is on the move in this room, using his word, using his spirit in order to show us something, that we, because this is true, need to come prepared and we need to have this lean-in posture of what God is going to show us. Every New Year, uh, my wife and I, we do a, a big dinner to kind of celebrate uh, the, the completion of a year, and then we look forward to the next year. And we kind of pray and we think through what, what God would have for us that next year. And, and we usually go to a really nice restaurant. And I, I love this meal. It's like my favorite meal of the year. And so because I know that I'm going to be well-fed for that meal, I prepare. And so what that looks like is I wake up and I actually strategize what I'm going to eat for breakfast and for lunch, okay? Now, I used to fall into the trap that I'm just not gonna eat today. 
And then I'm just gonna have my first meal for dinner and I'm gonna have you know, more room in order to, to pack in more food. Well, that is a mistake because you need it. Yeah, Katie's shaking her head up here, she knows. So you need to have some type of breakfast, you know, not, not heavy, but enough to get the metabolism going so that your stomach is ready to consume more, f- more food for the evening. That's free uh, advice that's not in the text anywhere. But the type of mindset that I have for those meals is the same mindset that you and I need to have when we gather here on Sundays. That my mindset for that meal is, is basically, I know I'm going to be fed and I'm going to prepare myself for that meal. And look, does that describe your posture on Sundays? Do you believe that God will be faithful, that he will keep his promise, that his word will not come back void, that he will feed his people? And does that shape the type of posture that you have when you walk in here on Sundays? Do you prepare your hearts in that way that God is going to feed you from his word? That if we believe that God will feed us, we will draw near. And that's one of the purposes of why we gather. Number two, we not only come, but we also cling. We also cling. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast or let us cling the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is another uh, key way to respond to the gospel. We hold fast unswervingly without wavering, the confession of our hope. Look, the confession of our hope is that Jesus saves, that Jesus unifies us, that Jesus is the cornerstone of who we are as his people. And we hold fast and cling to him because he's faithful. Like, we don't hold fast because because we're holding on so tightly, but we're holding fast because of the one with whom we hold on to is sturdy and reliable and faithful. So did you know that part of the purpose of Sunday morning is for you to be reminded to cling to Jesus? Just the simple reminder, that's part of what God wants for you each and every week that you come in here is to cling to Jesus. Like if we would just remember that throughout the week, we would be so much more faithful to the Lord. And so part of the purpose of why we gather is for you to to understand what it looks like to cling to Jesus So there is a greater fire that is lit in your heart so that when you wake up tomorrow, you can cling to Jesus. So when you wake up on Tuesday, you can cling to Jesus. So you wake up on what? You're clinging to Jesus because of what takes place here in this room. And so that's part of the purpose of why we gather as the people of God. We wanna show you what it looks like to cling to Jesus. The reality is, is that when we walk into this room, we are so tempted to cling to all kinds of other things. Like if we were just honest with each other this morning, look, we, we are tempted to cling to our own preferences. And we walk in here and we want a certain song sung a certain way, or we want the sermon to be preached a certain way, or, or we want this or that to be arranged a certain way. So we can be tempted to cling to those other things instead of Jesus. We can also be tempted to cling to what we believe our greatest need is outside of Jesus. Rather than clinging to Jesus, look, I struggle with this all the time. Like if throughout the week I'm struggling with anxiety, like I think my greatest need when I gather with the people is I need four steps to help me to overcome anxiety. 
And so I, I think through that Sunday morning gathering through that type of lens, when in reality, my greatest need is to cling to Jesus. So sometimes we think that our, our greatest needs can kind of dominate how we view Sunday morning. That man, I'm, I'm lonely, so my greatest need, I need to feel connected when I gather with the people of God. Or I need some steps to overcome lust or anger or this or that. No, your greatest need is to learn how to cling and to hold fast to Jesus. That's part of, of God's aim when we gather together is he wants to take the hands of your heart and tighten them on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look, sometimes he has to kind of release the grip that your hands have on other idols and other sin in your life. But, but God, what he wants to do, he wants us to hold fast to Jesus and that's part of the purpose why we gather together. Now, number third, last here is to consider, to consider not only do we come, not only do we cling, but we consider. <clears throat> this is probably the most surprising one of the three, if I was honest with you today. And when you look at verses 24 and 25, again, in the context of corporate worship, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now the central command in these two verses is to consider or to, to let us be concerned for, that it means to direct the mind towards and reflect upon. And so we are to consider first how to stir up love and good works towards one another. Look, that's part of why we gather together. It's not just to cling to Christ. It's not just to experience God's presence, but there's also a horizontal aim for why we gather together. That part of the purpose is for you to have a deep concern for one another. And so that demands having a type of mindset that's more of a participant rather than a consumer. It's having the mindset of, what can I give rather than what can I receive? And look, introverts are not left off the hook here. This is, this is for all of us to engage in the horizontal commands of considering how to stir up one another for love and good works. I like how Rick Warren talks about the local church. He says, the local church is the classroom for learning how to get along in God's family. It is a lab for practicing unselfish, sympathetic love. And as a participating member, you learn to care about others and share the experiences of others. Only in regular contact with ordinary, imperfect believers can we learn real fellowship and experience the New Testament truth of being connected and dependent on one another. It's a really helpful way to view the Sunday morning gathering, that this is a laboratory or a playground for how to live out the gospel and respond to the gospel. That this is the place that we think through how to, how to be concerned for one another, how to love one another. And so let me just suggest a, a couple of ways to practically respond to the gospel and to live out verses 24 and 25. Number one, in order to really live this out, Faithful attendance must be a priority. That if you're missing more Sundays than you're attending, it's gonna be really, really difficult for you to be obedient to this passage and to even thrive as a Christian. 
that you can't hijack these verses and apply it only through a personal lens. These are lived out in the corporate gathering of God's people. Like this is part of the reason why live streaming and listening to other really good podcasts, those are good, but they can only be supplemental. That's, that's not church. Like you, your Bible, and a podcast, you can't live out verses 24 and 25. And so in order to live this out, we need to be dedicated, make it a priority to actually gather with the people of God. Number two, a second way that we can live this out is to intentionally create a loving atmosphere where you're going out of your way to greet and to meet new people and even people that you don't know. That if you've been coming here for some time, your role is you're a host or a hostess. Like you're thinking, man, we've got new people. Like I wanna make them feel welcomed. I wanna help them feel connected. And so you're going out of your way, even introverts, to learn and to get to know new people and help them feel connected. Another way to live this out is on Sunday mornings, just be more intentional to encourage people around you. Like you see somebody serving, just be specific with a word of encouragement. Or maybe it means praying with somebody before or after the service. A great question, a safe question is, hey, how can I pray for you? Like, what is the Lord doing in your life? And just being way more intentional with, with the interactions that you have with other people. And so the gist of, of these verses and this passage is that you're others-focused and you're Christ-focused, looking for ways to respond to the gospel. And look, we, we all wanna come into this place and we wanna experience joy. Like, we wanna experience the presence of God, but I think the secret of joy in corporate worship is not just self-forgetfulness, or, or to put it positively, it's not just being consumed with Jesus and his glory. But I think the secret of joy as we gather is the happy awareness that we are not alone in having our souls satisfied in him when we gather. That's part of what kind of fills us with joy is knowing that other people are here being, uh, being fed with the presence of God and the beauty of Jesus. And so by rehearsing and responding to the gospel, we actually make the gospel visible unbelievable. Like what, what happens when the gospel is actually lived out and responded to? We, we not only proclaim the gospel so people hear it, but we embody the gospel and actually put it on display so people can walk in here and see the gospel being lived out if we are faithful to this passage. And so in, in light of all of this, can I just close this morning and just challenge you with three things? Three things when you think about the purpose of Sunday mornings and what you can do, think about prepare, engage, and share. That number one, when you think about Sunday morning, I just wanna encourage you just to prepare your hearts for Sunday morning. That by the best of your ability to get here and to get here on time to allow the spirit to prepare your hearts, to not make your schedule so full that you might walk in here exhausted and so you can't hear and process what the Lord is doing but to take time to pray and just ask the Lord just to bless our time to be in the sermon, to be in our singing, to be in the way that we live out and respond to the gospel, that if God really will meet with us, it demands that we prepare our hearts for that encounter. Number two, engage. Would you consider how you might engage more on Sunday morning? Like that might mean the way that you talk to other people or the way that you interact with new people. That might mean serving or it might mean singing more robustly. 
or listening more intently or praying with more passion. But we wanna be a people who are all in on Sundays because this day is important. And then number three last here is that just encourage you to share, to, to be more intentional about how you might share what the Lord is doing in your life. That one of the best ways to encourage somebody is just to share what you experience on Sunday morning. That might be on the ride home, that might be in your small group, that might be with people in the community who, who don't have a, a home church, and allow the excitement for what God is doing in your life to be a, a platform for a compelling invitation. Look, I want us to, to come here with the right perspective. I want the first thoughts of the day to be like, man, it's Sunday. Like, this is awesome. Like, I get to rehearse and respond to the gospel. Like, I get to love on people in my church, and I get to meet with God. I can't wait for what God has in store for us. Let's be that kind of church as we encounter God on a weekly basis.